The title of this, this sermon is From Mess to Masterpiece, Ephesians 2, 7 through 10. And um, talking about creative people and creative things, um, I remember, and I still have in my possession some things, some works of art that I fashioned in elementary school. You see, when I went to school, it was a time of relative affluence. And so we had things like, you know, we, we had, we made stuff out of clay and they would, they, they still, do they still, do they have money to fire up the kiln? They don't fire up, the, but they used, it was so fascinating. You're in the second grade, you make something out of some clay and then you put some paint on it and then they bring it back. It's all shiny, like, whoa. This. And then you take it home and you give it to your mom or your dad and they say, oh, hey, put that over there with the rest of the junk you've made. <laughs> I have a spice rack that I made in junior high, yes, in Woodshop at Perry Junior High School. Uh, anybody, any Perry people here? Uh, it's still there. It's Perry Middle School now. But I, it's a spice rack, and you cut it out with, a, with a, a bandsaw, and then you nailed it and glued it, and I still have it. It's not in my kitchen. It's in a box somewhere. But I, you guys know that I'm probably not the, I'm not the most artistic. I'm not a real drawer. Um, and I'm not going to even look at my wife because she's going to... Uh, begin to mock my artistic ability. My son, on the other hand, Charles, is an amazing artist as far as he, I got, I got, I got some of your stuff that I got out your room when I cleaned it out <laughs> that I want to scan for you because it's like some really, I mean, but, but like, for, now he can't write, <laughs> but he sure can't draw. And uh, you got that from his granddad who was really creative but couldn't write either. And, uh, but, you know, would, Art is interesting because you can take basically completely worthless materials. You, have, you ever go to the art store and look at things that are relatively inexpensive to buy, materials, or you can take things like clay, and you can take things that are simple and relatively worthless uh, and put them together in a certain way in the hands of the right artist, and what happens? Major beauty comes forth, and those things become treasures, you just take something like some paint. Uh, if you gave me, if you went to uh, uh, the art store, like Aaron Brothers, and you went over into the paint section. I was in Joanne the other day. Uh, it's a crazy store. I go there with my wife, right? And I, I was looking in the paint section. I'm like, so I said, what would I do with this? If I, I said, what if I bought some canvases and some paint? Uh, it would be pretty pathetic. Uh, but you could take someone that has skills like many of you out here, and you take a canvas and some brushes and some paint and give you a little time and over, over that period of time there would be a Van Gogh or, a, or something of that nature created or at least a, a you and something pretty you know, fascinating and pretty beautiful. And valuable pieces of art aren't necessarily created with special materials. They're created with ordinary, regular, everyday stuff. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And the Bible describes God in various places in terms of his being this kind of artist taking ordinary materials and making them into these magnificent displays of his greatness. If you don't believe me, listen to Psalm 19.1 from the New Living Translation. It says this, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Now, how many of you are, are craftsmen in here today? I know one over there. How many of you are, how many of you are artists? Well, you guys are very... Un- okay, how many of y'all are musicians and singers or wannabe actors? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this, this is L.A., right? 
you are a creative person, if you are an artist, if you are a craftsman, if you are creative in any way, guess what? You are taking after your heavenly father who himself is the master craftsman, the master artist. Because from the beginning of creation, God has shown himself to be an artist. Genesis 1-1 says this, in the beginning, God did what? God created just five words, just five words into the Bible, we see that God is artistic and he is creative out of nothing. He makes something wonderful and beautiful and out of nothing he created everything. And there's nothing in this world that exists that God did not create because part of God's nature is to create and to make things beautiful. He's doing that in your life right now if you will allow him to. And Genesis chapters 1 and 2 record the creation of the world. And notice what Genesis 2, 7 says. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He didn't go find some special stuff somewhere. He formed him from the... Let's get some, some, some man clay here. No, he formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And God acts just like this artist or craftsman by taking worthless materials, the dust of the ground. And even when you go into issues, if, if, if you go into biology or if you go into physics or you go into the sciences and even if you go in directions that seem to lead you away from the, the, the witness of Scripture, still nobody believes that humanity comes from anything other than the basic elements of all matter, the dust of the ground, out of the dust God made you and me. That's a creator. That's an artist. That's a craftsman. And mankind has become this part of God's glorious artwork. David pointed this out in Psalm 8.5. He says, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with honor and glory. Humankind is described as the crown jewel of God's creation, the, the masterpiece, and is placed on the earth that God created and given some instructions. In Genesis 2.16 and 17, God places man in the Garden of Eden to tend and care for it. And this is what the text says. It says, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will surely die. Now notice the permission here, and the permission is this. You can have anything you want, followed by this simple warning. If you disobey me in this one area, you will die. In other words, God is saying to Adam, he's saying, if you disobey me in this key area, if you don't do what I say, God's masterpiece will become a major mess. And so what happens is from masterpiece, creation as originally formed and fashioned by God to major mess, that which was created to be a thing of beauty, preserved over the, in one careless move it goes from this timeless treasure into to trash. If you look at Genesis 3, you see God's masterpiece, mankind turned into a mess because of a moment of carelessness and disobedience. And so while Genesis 1 and 2 are filled with all these words of speaking and creating and, 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 and creativity and artistic beauty. The words in chapter 3 and going forth after Adam and Eve's fall reflect this ruined masterpiece. Check this out. Listen to these from the New Living Translation version of Genesis 3. These, these, these are the kind of words you see in verse 7. They felt shame 
Verse 8, they hid. Verse 10, they were afraid. Verse 14, you will be punished. Verse 15, you will be enemies. Verse 16, there will be intense pain and suffering. Verse 17, this will be cursed. Verse 18, you will struggle. Verse 19, you will sweat like I'm doing right now. (laughs) Verse 19 again, this will happen until your dying day. So the question becomes, what has ruined the masterpiece? Sin and disobedience have ruined God's masterpiece. So if you go over to the New Testament, to Ephesians, the second chapter, you'll see both the long-lasting effects of Adam's sin, because at the beginning of Ephesians 2, he says, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In time past, you walked according to the, the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is currently at work in those who are disobedient. That's the outcome of sin. Paul reminds us in verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2 that we were hopeless and helpless, dead in our sins. And the masterpiece that we were created to be in Genesis 1 and 2 turned into a mess. And Paul declares that humanity has become a hopeless and helpless mess. And you and I have all been a part of that mess. We were caught up in it by birth. But then we go to the fourth chapter of Ephesians the fourth verse out of Ephesians 2, and what are the first two words? But God. But because of his grace and mercy, God. But God. These two words represent God's grace and kindness, and they launch us today into our discussion as to how we can become masterpieces of grace instead of the messes of sin that we otherwise might be. Let's look at our text in Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. And this is what Paul writes. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the, ages, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Look at these words in verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Those are some powerful words there. You see what he says? We were dead in trespasses and sins. The masterpiece had become a mess, but God has raised us up through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, we might be this masterpiece, this masterful display of his grace and his mercy expressed through his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. He reminds us that it is by grace we're saved. It's not what we do, how hard we work and how we earn it, but it's a free gift that we receive by faith. He says, because this is the bottom line, you are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's work of art. And he created you to do the same kinds of things in the world around you. And those things have already been mapped out for you. And so there are three assertions that we want to look at with regard to this discussion. And there, number one is this. I am timeless. 
Because he says, he's raised us up in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, throughout all eternity future, he might demonstrate his kindness. In other words, through your life, through your salvation, through his grace in your, in your world, he will demonstrate and glorify himself and demonstrate his grace and his mercy to the principalities and the powers and to everybody throughout all ages forever. You, you are a forever being. He has begun something in you that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. God created you to live forever. Now, God is the only being that has always existed and always will exist. You and I are created beings, meaning we had a beginning. But God created us so that we will never stop existing. And even after you and I die physically, our spirits will continue to live on for eternity. And Paul writes in, here in Ephesians 2, 7 that God has extended this wonderful invitation to all of us to live in the coming ages. Referring to eternity, that is, God wants for you and me to be forever examples of what he did for us and of his grace. You might ask the question, what is grace? Grace is undeserved favor, undeserved kindness extended to us, and it's God's response to our guilt. God didn't have to extend his grace to us. But you know what? I'm sure glad that he did. And it will be because we embrace his kindness and grace that we will continue to live forever even when we physically die because God made you and me to be timeless. That should be some encouragement to some of us today because as we move through life, you know, I myself, a man of a certain age, not going to tell you what that certain age is, you know, you, you, we struggle with issues of more of our mortality we struggle with issues of our uh, of of aging we struggle with issues of the fact that how much time do i have left here i still have things left to do i'm getting older uh, and you you guys start struggling with that when you're like 15 <laughs> i mean young kids now it's like i'm trying to find the meaning through my life I saw, I, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it just popped in my head. I saw a poster with a chicken, and it said, the chicken is saying, I dream of a world in which I can cross the road without having my motives questioned. <laughs> can you all bump the temperature down one degree? If you do things by one degree at a time, because it gets hot and cold. It's, I, okay, one more. Because <laughs> I'm I'm warm. And I, I don't, we pay too much money for air conditioning for me to be up here feeling uncomfortable. Now you say, well, you're fine, right? I'm the only hot one in here. And boy, I tell you, you can split a church over the color of carpet. You can split a church over the color of the chairs. You can split it over the, we're going to have to get a, a dual temp zone church. Like, you know, the new cars, I got to get one of those too. Because, uh, you know, because the cars now, you know, you have like on one side, driver's side, you set one temperature. And on the passenger side, you set another temperature. That's like, who, a, 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 did a woman think of that or a man? No, a man thought of it because he got, could you turn the air? It's too cold. <laughs> God. 
God made us to be timeless. We were, we, we trip about, but the thing about it, this, this life is finite. This life is, has temporal limitations. This is a, a temporary existence and, and it will come to an end and you will run out of time and you might be too old for certain things. <laughs> you might, there might be some things, there's some things that I mean, at your age, maybe you shouldn't wear. You know, I don't know, but, but that, that's just the way life is. But, but, with regard to your spirit, you are created to be timeless. You are a timeless being. God made us to be timeless. And so that needs to alter our, our perspective. Because here's the flip side of the discussion. You can choose to live your life as a mess. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Denying God's grace and living our lives without God because the fact is this, masterpiece or mess, you are still timeless whether you're a mess or whether you're a masterpiece. You will go on forever. And if you're living as a mess denying God's grace, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you need to know that God has created you for a different purpose and you are living beneath your privileges. God's wonderful, amazing grace, regardless of our sins, is always there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I believe that even right now, if your life is a mess and if you've been running from God, because you are a timeless being and he has a timeless purpose for you, that he is pursuing you, that he is begging you to turn your life over to him right now while there is still time in this life because he created you to be a timeless example of his grace, not a timeless example of his judgment. I'm timeless. And then the second assertion is this. I am priceless. Verses 8 and 9. He says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Salvation is what? A gift from God. You can't possibly purchase it because it is priceless. If you were trying to buy salvation, you wouldn't have enough resources. You know what they say, if you you have to ask how much it costs, you probably can't afford it. Salvation is that way. if, If there were a cost that you can pay, you could not pay it. That's why Jesus had to die in our place. You can't purchase it because it's priceless, but it's a gift that is reflective of God's love for us. Just because something is a gift to you because it's free to you doesn't mean it's free, but it's free to you because God has given it to us as a reflection of his love for us, a priceless gift for a priceless creation. Talk to you about being God's creation. I just happen to have it in my pocket. Don't be thinking that I'd be rolling like this because I usually have like a dollar in my pocket, so I have enough money to drop in the tip jar at Chipotle or something. Yeah, you know about that tip jar. I got a $100 bill here. Now, that's pretty cool, huh? These new ones are weird. Got that funny color blue thing. I was wondering if somebody print this up on an on a Epson or something. So, uh, now, if I were to say to you, if I were to say to you, how many of y'all want this $100 bill? Hands fly up. I wish when I give an altar call, y'all would be that prolific. <laughs> I said, how, how many of y'all want this $100 bill? Hands fly up all over the room, except... Joy's trying to be all coy. No, no, Pastor. <laughs> you wanted hundred. If, if I was giving this away, do you want it, Joy? <laughs> you want it, right? Don't worry, I ain't giving it away. Now let me now let, let, let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. I'm, I'm going to take it and crumble it up. Now, if I say, how many of y'all want this hundred dollar bill? Nobody changed, right? 
Let's see. We take a little further. Step back. Back. <laughs> All right. It's been it's been crumbled. It's been yeah. You got to watch Eugene. It, it's been crumpled. It's been stepped on and stomped on and the dirt from my shoe and the car- carpet and you all still I put this on I can't I cannot leave that there I better put this in my pocket in that little inner pocket here inside the pocket so I won't lose it because y'all will take that hundred dollar bill I don't care how messed up what because you take they give them to you sometimes you get one and it's almost torn in half you take it oh no I can't I, no thank you if you, that's the only one you got, yeah, put some tape on it. You get them, they've been written on and marked on. They are old. And, and sometimes if you go to the bank, we go to the business teller. She, this one lady I know, she takes bills out of circulation. And so she'll put these bills in this little tray. And she's gonna, they're going to send them back to somebody. But you take anything as long as it looks like money. Because no matter what I did to the money... You still wanted it. Why? Because it never decreased in value. It, it's still worth $100. If I, if I, if I, have, if I, if I shred it with razor blades until it comes apart, it's still worth $100. It has not increased in value. And many times in our lives, we have been dropped. We have been crumpled. We have been ground into the dirt by the decisions we make and by the circumstances that come our way and we find ourselves feeling worthless but no matter what has happened to you no matter what has happened in your life no matter what will happen God still desires you. God still loves you. God still has extended his grace to you and it means that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me any more than he already does and there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. Dirty or clean, crumpled or finely creased, you are priceless to God. And in God's eyes, our worth comes from who we are and we are priceless treasure. God thought that we were so valuable that he sent his son, Jesus. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only, only begotten son. Because there was no amount of money or good works for us to do that could have changed our hopeless and helpless situation. Because as Paul has written in the first couple of verses of this chapter, Ephesians 2, we were dead, separated from God in trespasses and sins, in bondage to Satan. But then Jesus came along and died for our sins so that we could have this eternal relationship with God. And he paid the price that we couldn't pay because he considers us priceless. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Just lift your hands and give him praise. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care... How messed up your life may be. And the reason this word is important because you see, let me let me just let me just tell you this. You talk about life. You talk about life. As I go, I grew up in 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 the Christian community, in the Christian world, in the church, and and there are all these ideals. And ideals are wonderful. Standards are wonderful. Aspirations are wonderful. Dreams and visions are wonderful. All this, but you know, you grow up. Some of you have been in Christian environments where there is the there is the purported sense that if you really love God and trust God, and if you're you know that some of us, that all of us really 
should have it all together and that there's no, no disarray and no disorder in our lives. But the reality of the fact is I've gone on in life and as I kind of have matured and as I've experienced some stuff and looked around and observed things in the world and in, and in people and then applied and then looked at the word of God with clarity and read it plainly rather than reading back into it just what we wish it was meaning. Hello. Realize that you got mess. I got mess. All God's children got a little mess around there somewhere. I, 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 I believe in godly households and Christian families and godly marriages and sanctified children and blessed babies and all that other stuff. But, but man, this is the real world, and we all got struggles, and Christian families have disarray, and Christian folks have times when we're confused, and there are times when we are frustrated, times we are tired, times we are, we are beset with with issues and, and internal and external and messiness is a part of life. Messiness is a part of the life the lives depicted in scripture in the Old Testament. Messiness. How you can't get no more messy messy than somebody like Samson. <laughs> Read his story and look at his demise and remember that the first thing recorded about Samson said about him was that Samson saw a woman. It was like downhill from there because he could not, he was told, his, he was this man chosen by God, but just out of control. David, a man after God's own heart, he had mess in his life. Abraham had mess. Jacob had mess. Moses had a little bit of mess. He didn't, he didn't take him into the promise. And it's just because people are people, but God is always God. And God, in the midst of our mess, is able to make a, a masterpiece out of us. And he is working in us, and he is fashioning us, and he is forming us. He is the great creator. He is the great artist. And then finally this, and I hope this, 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 I, oh, I went, went ahead. Back, back. There you go. Number three, I am part of a greater picture. Now, this is really important. Stay with me for a few more minutes because I want you to get this. Because over and above so much of Christianity that is so individually focused, and there's nothing wrong because we've already affirmed today that God loves the individual, right? We, we, we have affirmed the reality that Scripture makes it plain that God cares about you and me in that one-on-one -on -one relationship in a very unique and special way, and he loves us as individuals. Yet we live in a culture that is characterized by rugged individualism, uh, that is a feature of American culture from the beginning that is quite different than Eastern culture. And guess what? The culture of the Bible is a Middle Eastern culture, and it's a, it's a, a different culture in which in many other parts of the world, in many other social settings, community was prized and family was viewed with much more uh, respect and honor as opposed to the individual. America is kind of unique in that regard, and it's not all to our benefit. Some of it is to our detriment. It is, it is part and parcel of who we are. So we want to be free to blow each other's brains out and do whatever else we want to do because this is all about me. I need to, because God has given me the inalienable right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whatever. But but really, when you read the scripture, understand that God speaks to you as an individual, but he also speaks to you as an individual within the context of this thing called the church. And Christians don't really exist. You might try and want to, but we don't exist. You are a part of the church, whether you're a part of a visible church or not. And so there, there are aspects of your life that have to do with your association with the broader and the bigger picture. And aren't you glad that you, no matter whether you realize it or not or whether you're living it or not, you are a part of something greater than yourself. Yeah. 
Because for some of us, our little worlds are pretty small, and that's all there is. And this is me, God, and whether I can get it, uh, whether I can get some new shoes this week. It's like that's a pretty, not a very compelling story. But when you think about the fact that I am the part of this bigger story, this bigger picture of God's redeeming the world through His Son Jesus, of of the expansion and the establishment of the kingdom of God in the earth, of of God's ultimately reconciling and subduing all things to Himself, I am a part of this cosmic picture, this big picture of what God is doing in the earth and in the universe, and so I am a part of something bigger than myself. So. There is more to me than just what I wear and where I live and where I work. And, and, and there are these superficial things that sometimes become all that we're about. But we are part of something greater. We are God's workmanship. The fact is that God, we are God's specially crafted piece of work. You know, not like you may say of me, you know, that Charles, he's a real piece of work. But I mean, no, we are really, literally, we are, we are this piece of work. The Greek word here, poema, which means to, the lexical definition is to do or to make. But it is also the word from which we get the, derive the English word poem. And it's also translated in some settings, masterpiece. It's this thing that God does that he makes. It is his masterpiece. And that's why some translations actually go there. The old English says we are his workmanship, but we could say we are his masterpiece. We are this work of art that he has been working on and fashioning and designing, and we are his, his, his pride and his joy. God tells us that God considers us to be his masterpiece, and he says that to you and me, Regardless of the degree to which we are in our current state somewhat messy. Because if you, sometimes if you try to do something good, you know that there's a little bit of mess involved in getting to the finished product. If you want to paint your house. Now, if you really are neurotic and OCD, then you can tape everything and, and mask everything going out 10 feet from the house or inside. You can do everything and you can, and you can rather than paint over lines and then come back later you can just every you can be really crazy and it'll take you five times long but if you as you get the job done you learn you go in there and you do and you know what where, where to go up and you can paint the window and you take the razor blade and scrape it off later rather than oh i can't get when i don't want to get paint on the glass it'll scrape off but there's a messiness when you build stuff there's sawdust and there's scraps of wood and fragments and leftover there's noise and mess because that's kind of what goes into making stuff But Paul says, we, notice, I want you to understand, it's, he doesn't say you, first person singular, he says we, say we. we. He says we, it's a, it's like you're, you're, we're, having, we're on a roller coaster, we. <laughs> we are his workmanship. It underscores our corporate worth and our connection to one another as the body of Christ. And, and of course we know this has a personal application. But I can't help but think that there is some reference here to this we, the church, as his workmanship. In in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, God points out that he loved the church. Sometimes there's too much emphasis. We need to fall a little bit more in love with the church. I'm not saying this church, but I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We need to fall a little bit more in love with the concept of the church. Paul says, listen, he says, 
He desires to present the church. He gave himself for the church. And in America, it's like, he gave himself for me. He gave himself for the church. And guess what? If you are in the, if you are in the church or if you enter into the church, then you're a part of that. It's kind of like this, okay? It's kind of like this is the deal on predestination. It's kind of like there's a train going from here to San Diego. And the train is predestined. So if I want to get this... Go to San Diego, I'd be predestined if I get on the train, but I got to get on the train and be part of the movement, but, it's, it, but it ain't just me. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It, it is, he desires to present the church as a spotless, unblemished. You think that you're going to be the only one in the end of, I'm, this, I'm the bride of Christ. No, you are part of the bride of Christ. And so... And we refer to the church as the bride of Christ, but we understand that the church is God's masterpiece as well. And so get this, folks. You are part of this great picture. This great poem, this great masterpiece called the church. And I pray that God would help us to to understand that and to, to, to get in sync with that. Understand that God through his word and through his spirit is teaching us and training us. I believe that as we go week to week together in our walk together as a local expression of the church, God, like an artist, is applying paint in all the right places and, 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 and shaping and forming us. He's making us more and more of what we are to become. And he does this through things like the preaching. He does it through the fellowship, through the worship, through the prayer, through our times together. But he also does it through things like adversity and trial and challenges that test our faith and that prove us and that give us the opportunity to step out in faith. And notice what he says in verse 10. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sometimes I think we're trying to make things up as we go along without realizing that God has already set stuff out ahead of you for you. And as you live and walk in faith and as you just step out in faith and as you begin to trust God and surrender your life to him, those things become apparent and obvious as you go. Isn't it something how I just, the thing of synchronicity and, and serendipity and the way that God just connects people. I think about this congregation. I think of all of you and a lot of the relationships and how I met some of you and how some of you got here through somebody else who got here through somebody else and how God works in the lives of people. And it is absolutely fascinating. And we understood this a number of years ago. It was a um, Henry Blackaby had, had written a book called Experiencing God, and it was this premise. It was real popular in the 90s. The premise was that God is already at work in the world, and so it's not your job to go out and work for God. I'm going to go make some stuff up and make it happen. Your job is to pray and ask God to show you where he's at work and then to, to allow you to join him in his work. Because if you pray and ask God, God's working and he's talking to people and working in somebody's life. You can go out with a sandwich sign on your back on the street corner, you know, turn or burn or repent or whatever. And, and people will throw hot dogs at you and, and, and grimace at you because that kind of doesn't work anymore. But, but, or you can pray and ask God, in the course of my going and coming, would you put me in contact with people that need the light that you've placed in me? Would you help me to connect with people today? Would you help me to be sensitive and maybe show me where I could just simply pray for somebody in need? Place me in the, in the path. In, in my going and coming and all of the things, would you lead me to where you need me so that I can be a blessing to other people? And so, amen. So I, I would challenge us to think about this. I want to kind of wrap this up that we might need to recommit ourselves to Jesus' church. If you're a member of this church, to our local congregation. 
recommit as understanding that we together are this wonderful work of art that God is forming. We would not be the same and we will not be as beautiful as we will be without you. Each one of you. Conversely, you will not be as beautiful as you will be or might be without us. You understand what I'm saying? There is an interactive component to our walk together. And God works in you as an individual, but he works in us as the church. We are God's masterpiece. So as, I, as we seek to wrap this up this morning, here's the, here's the issue. Where, where is your place in this masterpiece called Grace Chapel? Where is your place in, in the masterpiece called the Church of Jesus Christ? I want to challenge you to, to commit to making whatever community of faith, whatever Christian community, whatever church, whatever unit that you're a part of, committed to helping to make that the masterpiece that God has designed it and envisioned it to become and not allowing it to degenerate into a major mess. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.